G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. We went back to Northern Ireland in 1980 for a couple of years during the height of the troubles in Northern Ireland. And that kind of destroyed my family, I think. My dad left my mum, went off with another woman and had a couple of other kids and no one saw him much at all. And, yeah, that was a really shaping time when I was starting, about to go to university to do a postmodern literature degree in communication and cultural studies. The Story. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Stephen McAlpine is the author of the award-winning book Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't. Another book of his is entitled Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that's Constantly Changing. So based on those two titles, it's easy to see that Stephen is very interested in helping Christians navigate through our increasingly hostile secular culture. Why is he so passionate about this and what experiences has he had that have shaped his views? We'll find out as he shares his story with us today. Stephen McAlpine is chatting with Eric Scadabo in our Melbourne studios. Stephen McAlpine, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Glad to have you with us. And I should say that just a few hours ago, I had the privilege of listening to you speak at a breakfast, but I do have a complaint about that. Really good content, but I take issue with the the name of your talk this morning. It was Leadership for Losers, Guiding God's People in a Post-Christian Culture. So, uh, you know, the guiding God's people in a post-Christian culture, that, that was the interesting bit, but Leadership for Losers? I didn't know that I was going to that, and I find out now I'm sitting in a talk for losers. Thanks a lot, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's self-selecting, really, isn't it? Yeah, you, you catch the fish with the bait that they want, right? <laughs> no, so... Interesting title, right? So, yes, very and, provocative. Yeah, and it's a bit of a clickbait in one respect. Really dealing with what does it mean to lead uh, in Christian organisations or schools or something when the culture is against the framework of Christianity. Mm-hmm. When I say losers, I'm saying that we're not heading to the centre of the culture in the West anymore mm-hmm. as evangelicals, as Christians in general. We're moving to the margin. Christianity is not seen as the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking like we're on the wrong side of history. Yeah, that's the phrase that you hear. Yeah, yeah, We're on the wrong side of history. And so the the threat is, if you don't get on the right side of history, A, it's going to get worse for you, Mm. or legislation could make it worse for you, or you're just going to be marginalized. So you need to be on the right side of history. I think Christians are struggling with that, Mm. and leaders need to be able to help their people navigate that without despair or or, denial or or, or anger. Mm. Yes, and so that's kind of your theme. A number of your books are all about helping Christians navigate through this tricky territory? Yes, and noticing that maybe 30 years ago the culture was neutral towards Christianity and disinterested at some level. Now, I'm talking about the conversational culture. It doesn't mean to say that everyone in the culture feels Mm -hmm. that way, but the conversational culture in all the, the bright places and the academic life and the political life even is that Christianity has got features to it that aren't bugs, 
but are actually features in the system mm-hmm. which are wrong and not just wrong but dangerous yeah. to what it means to be human, what it means to flourish. We're talking about the sexuality, ethics mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. the gender issues, those sorts of things, but other issues as well, exclusivity claims of Jesus and how divisive those things are. Those are now seen as part of the problem in our culture, mm-hmm. not something we can co-opt as part of the solution. So we as Christians are seen as part of the problem and hence losers? Yeah, and bad guys. And bad guys. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, Christianity isn't one of the groups that you would say – it's a bit like if uh, when video stores were, you know, uh, going through their demise, no one was thinking of going to the bank and asking for, you know, $200,000 to open a new video store. Yes, yes. And when streaming services were coming, (laughs) with a video store in the the analogy, uh, your day's done. Well, that's how it's perceived. Perceived. But we know. Yeah, we don't believe that. Yeah. But it can feel quite convincing Mm. for the average Christian who's working at a big firm in the city Mm. when they go in and they realize that the diversity program doesn't include their diversity. Mm. And you go, wow, what does that mean? And it's quite convincing when many books in Christianity over the last 40 years said the culture will get so much worse and everything will go terrible. It'll be a zombie apocalypse when we lose mm. Christianity. But it doesn't quite feel that way. You go to Sydney and it's bright and colourful and looks like this is kicking goals mm. without Christianity at the centre of the culture at that level. So the way our culture has lost Christianity at one level doesn't seem as apocalyptic as we might have supposedly hoped and where we could go, see, we told you that Christianity was the future and you didn't listen to us, and now look at you. People are going, we're getting on fine. Hmm. And that's hard to counter at the moment. Yeah. Now, listening to all this Hmm. could get very depressing. (laughs) Like, we're losing (laughs) and people are doing fine without Christianity. Can you give us a little bit of uh, of optimism here? (laughs) Well, for a start, we follow someone who got crucified by the powers of the day. Jesus was on the wrong side of history until he wasn't which was true resurrection yeah. day. Yep. And we live between resurrection day and return day mm-hmm. and he had always told his disciples it's the cross mm-hmm. before the crown. It's the bible story is suffer now glory later. Not that we don't have joy in this age, but uh, St. Peter wrote to the churches that he was writing to and said, don't be surprised at the fiery trial you're going mm-hmm. through. It's not as if Christians had it great back in the first century Roman era, but he said that's part of the package. Yeah. And so convincing Christians that it's part of the package is hard in the West, mm-hmm. probably not so hard in Afghanistan. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's dialed into us in our cultural time as Christians is that the point of life is to have a good, happy, comfortable life of acquiring things. And we don't, you know, say that as mm-hmm. our liturgy, mm-hmm. but it's kind of baked into us a little bit that when something goes wrong, we still respond as a secular person may with mm-hmm. anger. That shouldn't happen. Well, I don't know. The Bible says that might happen. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> get used to that. So persecution is more the norm throughout Christian history. Mm-hmm. And what we've experienced in the West, Australia, the United States, mm-hmm. etc., has been more the exception. Oh, we've had a good run yeah, in that sense. Yeah. But good runs always make you soft, hmm. right? Oh, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. win the event, win the, the league 15 years in a row and you get complacent and suddenly you lose and you, go, mm-hmm. and you feel entitled. So entitlement is a true sign that we're a little bit soft about mm-hmm. this. We're owed our place in the culture. We're owed this. And you go, no one ever says that. Yep. 
Um, it's not it, in the Bible. Yeah, it doesn't say it in the Bible. No, I'm not saying we want to go back to what it was like in pagan Rome because it was brutal, harsh, oh. and lifeless. Oh, yeah. Now, that was persecution. Yeah. They were yeah. putting us to the gladiators and all yeah. that. But even when they weren't, it was social isolation. But it's also mm. the context that the pagan world itself was a very brutal world. Mm. And post-Christian West is more Christian than people realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, it, the it's air we breathe is Christian mm-hmm. air, even if we don't recognize Christianity. Yeah. Okay, well, these are just some of the things that you deal with yeah. in your books and in your speaking. We want to find out the events in your life that have led to these views and how you're helping other people. So let's go back all the way to where it all began. Where were you born and raised? Yeah, I was born in Belfast in Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. which is a very religiously hot place, as oh, you can yeah. imagine. Yes. Um, my the parent, conflict within Christianity. Yeah, yeah, and the chief minister of Northern Ireland, who was the Reverend Ian Paisley, uh, was the head, like the pre- premier of, you know, of Northern Ireland mm-hmm. after the troubles ended. But he married my mum and dad, and they were members of his church, and my oh, okay. twin brother and I were dedicated by him. So we grew up in that kind of hot Protestantism of Northern mm-hmm. Ireland. Mm-hmm. And at the age of six, my family moved to Perth in Australia, and then we bounced back to Northern Ireland a few times. But the disjunct between Northern Ireland, which was hot Protestantism, mm-hmm. or Catholicism, and you know, Perth, which is just hot, you know, <laughs> uh, it's very different, very different worlds. Yeah, it was like landing on the moon in the early seventies to come to Australia mm-hmm. from the UK because you didn't get back much. You were never mm-hmm. coming back. Yeah, and I distinctly remember my mum crying in the arms of her mum as we left the, on the boat in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland to get uh, to England to then catch a plane to Australia, and it felt like a different universe. And suddenly, we're uh, four of us—my mum and dad, and my twin brother and myself—here. And uh, that was a very different experience. And church was a very different experience. Mm-hmm. It was much more laid back. Mm-hmm. It was much more casual. And the external features of church were very different to what we experienced in Northern Ireland. And then we grew up in a time that I think Australia was slightly casually racist, even towards Irish people still at the time. Oh, okay. I got a lot of hassle for being Irish at school. Oh, really? Yeah. Because there's a history of that in Australia about Irish immigrants and mm-hmm. things like that. So it's very interesting how that and mm-hmm. that, you couldn't get away with that now. Mm-hmm. You could not. Thankfully. Now, was that the, the 70s? Yeah, 70s, mm-hmm. early, early to mid-70s. And so, uh, but we went back to Northern Ireland in 1980 for a couple of years during the height of the troubles in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And that kind of destroyed my family, I think. My dad left my mum. Well, my, we came back to Australia, and two years later, my dad left my mum. Mm-hmm. And uh, by that stage, there were four boys and my mum raising us. My twin brother and I were just about to start university at the age of 17 and my dad left and my and I have two younger brothers who are a lot younger. So my mum had four of us in the house plus her mm-hmm. at the age of 40. She was 40 and I thought that was old and now <laughs> this side of yeah. where yeah. I am, I won't yeah. tell my age. Yeah. Now 56, there you go. You can have that for free. Um, I thought my mum put up with a lot mm. and a lot of grief mm. and church rallied around her at some level. Mm-hmm. Because back in those days, divorce in the mid-80s in church was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And my dad just left and went off with another woman and had a couple of other kids and no one saw him much at all. Mm. Left the country? No, just might as well have been. Okay. <laughs> you didn't know where he was. Yeah, and, and didn't want contact. Mm. And yeah, that was a really shaping time when I'm starting, about to go to university mm. to do a postmodern literature degree in communication and cultural studies. You can imagine as a young Christian who that 
Yeah, I was going to say, where were you at in your faith at that point? Well, I became a Christian very much in that decisionism thing. You know, some people can't remember the day and the date, but they Mm -hmm. know Jesus is Lord. I Mm -hmm. distinctly remember at the age of eight, you know, confessing my sin and asking Mm -hmm. Jesus into my heart. And whatever that means at that age of eight, it wasn't like I was kicking off, you know, getting rid of a drug habit or, you know, getting out of prison. It still shapes you forward. Yeah. And then... My parents splitting up was a big moment, mm-hmm. but I stayed Christian, mm-hmm. though a bit ropey, I think. But I remember at uni studying all this postmodern ideas and thinking, these ideas will never fly. They're crazy. But if you're studying with all of the filmmakers, writers, ad producers of the culture for the next 30 years, of course those ideas will permeate the rest of the culture mm. because it's the stories that we tell that shape who we are. Mm-hmm. People aren't being shaped around expressive individualism, as we call the term, by French philosophy from the 1900s. They're being shaped by Disney, mm-hmm. by yeah, movies, you know, Taylor Swift or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's the way, because we, we, the stories shape us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been a big issue for me, that the classic line that you know, politics is downstream of culture, that the culture shapes things far more subterranean mm-hmm. Politics comes and goes and changes, but underneath everything flows. So as a Christian young man, I had to navigate that space. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Christian author and speaker Stephen McAlpine, who's sharing his life journey and why he's so passionate about helping Christians navigate through our increasingly hostile secular culture. We'll hear more of Stephen's story and more of his insights when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our guest today is Christian author and speaker Stephen McAlpine, who's sharing his life journey and why he's so passionate about helping Christians navigate through our increasingly hostile secular culture. Stephen is the author of the award-winning book, Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't. Now, here's more of Stephen sharing his story with Eric Scadabo. So what was your degree in? I did a degree in uh, communication and cultural studies, majored in uh, journalism and creative writing, which Mm -hmm. stands you in good stead. They're good transferable skills, writing and speaking skills. And um, then did that for a few years. But at the same time, my twin brother got a PhD scholarship to Oxford. Oh. uh, And uh, he's a senior academic in a major Sydney university and uh, a uh, well-known, world-renowned researcher in his field. So my life seemed to be a bit listless while he was kicking goals. Huh. And it was a time to really reassess who I was, I think. Mm-hmm. And somehow I bounced back and forth between the UK and Australia a couple of times myself, not doing that much, and eventually came back and fell into working as a youth pastor for some reason in a church. From a journalist that, yeah. to a youth pastor. Yeah. Well, I'd been involved in church for a long time mm-hmm. and helping out at youth. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to Perth and I said to a friend who worked in a big city church, which was a very different theological strain to what I was, 
and he was working in the marketing department of its mission wing. And he said, oh, they're looking for a youth pastor in this church. He said, why don't you apply? Said, well, I've never done that. He said, apply, see what happens. Hmm. And I got the job. Wow. And what, why, why do you think they picked you with no experience? Um, I had a church background. Okay. I'd helped out at youth group, but I think maybe they were desperate. <laughs> <laughs> there was no other applicants. <laughs> That's right. But they'd had that position vacant for six months and had had applicants for some reason. Mm-hmm. But partly, I think I can uh, relate well to people mm-hmm. and also having been through some stuff. And I was at that church for a few years and I met my wife there mm-hmm. very early on in the piece. I just met, well, she wasn't my wife, clearly. But wife-to-be. Wife-to-be. And clicked very quickly with her, and we got married a few years later. By that stage, I was studying theology. And the reason I went to study theology at a college that I thought was good repute was that the church I was at was all over the place theologically. Mm. And I thought, I need to pull the Bible lever a bit better than I can. I need to know what the Bible's about. And so I went to a theological college and did training and kind of went into ministry from there. Mm. So it was never the first option in my life and never the first option for my wife, I think, but she knew she was marrying someone who's at theological college and she's a clinical psychologist uh, that had to be an emotionally low EQ to figure out that I might not end up in ministry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) And so I did. No, she's uh, from South Africa, Mm -hmm. um, from Cape Town. Her family came here because of apartheid in the 80s as well. Mm-hmm. So we're both migrant families mm-hmm. with small startup bases of one family unit, mm-hmm. no cousins, no anything. Yeah. And that's been interesting. And as we've grown a family again with brothers, you know, my brother's marriages and kids and things like that. But somewhere in the mix there, I got in touch with my dad again mm-hmm. and sort of renegotiated that relationship. But I was the only one of four brothers that did that. Mm-hmm. And that was intriguing and interesting. And... Uh, I've written a few things about it, but my dad did not come to our wedding, not because he didn't want to, but because he felt he couldn't, because it would just be too hard for my mum, who he hadn't oh, okay. seen for 20 years. Yeah. So he felt shame, mm. and we got married in this city church in Perth, which is on the main street of Perth, and across the road, there's still a McDonald's. Um, mm. We didn't go there for our uh, you know, wedding breakfast, but um, <laughs> dad didn't come. But someone took a photo randomly, and across the road, standing in the shadow of the McDonald's, is my dad and his oh. second wife and his two sons watching oh, us come wow. out of the church. And I only noticed that when some years later, when someone he just happened was, to he just he happened did, to be in a photo. Yeah. Oh wow! So he, he wanted to, to be yeah. close. Yeah. But not inside the church. That's right. Mm. So always that shadow hangs over how family life mm. is done for us. I think. Yeah. So now you're out of journalism into ministry full-time. But I'm just interested to know, how did all these events kind of shape Mm. this view of navigating people through Christians in a secular world? So I'm I'm just, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, you you know about hardship. You know about being Mm. in a broken family and, uh, you know, well, brokenness in Northern Ireland with the the troubles. But then knowing how to communicate with young people, youth pastors are known as kind of being hip and cool and relevant to the culture. So is all that all in the mix? Probably. Um, I don't know if they would have thought I was that hip and relevant. I probably (laughs) think maybe I'm more hip and relevant now. You know, I don't know. Um, I think part of the issue for me was that I think that we're affected by the culture far more than we know. That even with my dad, who had been a Christian for so long, Mm. went, no, 
Not for me. And he didn't go, not for me, to nothing. Mm. He went, not for me, I want a different life. And there's a different life available to you that on tap in Australia if you mm. want to leave Christianity. Yeah. Because there's another discipleship program called You Do You. Yeah. And so... And a lot of things to do on a yeah, Sunday morning. Exactly. So why would you get up and go to church? Because you can be just as good a person, apparently, mm. and live just as good a citizenship life by going to the local cafe. It's mm. not like it's transgressive to no longer belong to a church. And Christians are affected by the cultural stuff as much as anyone else. And there is a good life aspect to the the bad life of culture um, in the sense that it's not all, you know, if you don't stay, if this culture doesn't stay Christian, everything will fall apart. It'll coast for a long time doing fairly mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're rich, we've got a Christian default position on human rights, mm-hmm. even though we don't practice it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not Christian in a very Christian way. Now, when you say that, I'm taking you to mean we're not Christian in that not everybody is a born-again, believing mm-hmm. follower of Jesus. But, but we but- assume things about what it means to be human, mm-hmm. about forgiveness, about humility, perhaps. The value of the value life. value of life mm-hmm. in ways that are not universal. Mm-hmm. And are clearly, if you read history and see stats, have never been universal. Mm. And we assume they are, that they're baked into what it means to live. And that's not but true. But they are the fruit, the fruit of, of Christianity. the Christian heritage. And my reason for getting into this sort of thing was that you cut the roots off from the fruit and eventually the fruit will die. Mm. And the pressures we're feeling culturally at the moment, the anxiety levels we have in the wider society, mm-hmm. are proof that something's dying. Yeah, they're yeah. through the roof. They're through the roof. And so I'm raising kids. I've got a nearly 23-year-old and a 15-year-old, and they are Christian, but they, their world is very different to the world I even I was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that Christianity when I was young was lame in Australia. It was lame to be a Christian, and now it's transgressive in a, an unsafe way. Mm-hmm. You're one of those bigots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say to people is we don't need to go there for our hope. We don't need to mm-hmm. try and take back the culture at that mm-hmm. level. It's good when the culture is Christianized because it's good laws will happen, safe things will happen, mm-hmm. but let's not assume that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, if we make the culture wars our top priority, then what happens to what Jesus said, make disciples? Yeah, it, it goes by the wayside, and people will trade it off. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't think we're saying, oh, it'll be really great when we're a post-Christian nation again so we can start evangelizing. It won't be really great. Mm, Things will be no. bad. But grabbing it by naked power isn't going to resolve the hard issues among people. Mm-hmm. Now, politics will shape certain things. There's no way around that. But the shift in our culture isn't for turning soon. Mm-hmm. And it is very much about expressive individualism and the personal right to do how I choose in a way that suits me. Mm. And we're all susceptible to that. Mm. And look, I see that in my own family breakdown. Mm. But I would say this, and this is probably part of it shaped my story a lot, is that we're being told that when we were a Christian nation, things were a lot better. Well, my mum was conceived out of wedlock in a strict Protestant house in Northern Ireland at the time when Everyone went to church, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and no one knew that her parents were having her. They got married. They moved to Dublin, a couple of hundred miles and another country away, to hide the fact that they were having mm-hmm. my mum. Yeah. And when she was born, they gave her away to a foster family, a, a lady, a, foster, a widow who mm-hmm. from 
uh, in Dublin. And then my mum's dad left uh, my grandmother mm. and disappeared. And my grandmother, with tail between legs, went back to Belfast. But no one knew about my mum. Oh, okay. And she was with a foster family of six kids and a war widow from World War I who looked after foster kids to make some money. Mm. And she lived there happy, thinking that was her family. Until one day when she was eight, a car comes down from Belfast and says to my mum and her or foster sister, let's go into Dublin for ice cream. And they put the girls in the car and took them to an ice cream parlour in Dublin and left my mum's foster sister there and took my mum back to Belfast and stole her back. Oh. And then the next morning my mum wakes up in a strange bed in a strange house in a strange city and sits up yelling, my mummy will be worried about me, seeking to get home. Yeah. And another woman, who was about 26 by this age, walks in and says, actually, I'm your mum. Wow. And so my mum's whole life has been shaped by, if Christianity was so great back yeah. in the... How come it did that to me? Yeah. Well, I mean, the larger point being, there back wasn't, in the yeah. 50s and all that, it wasn't, a lot of things yeah. very oh, unchristian were happened. happening under the surface. Uh, in Christian settings. Abuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when I speak about the cultural things we're going through, I say we're not trying to get back to the 1950s mm-hmm. because they weren't always that good. Well, they're romanticized. That's right. It's Norman Rockwell painted, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> but based on... Your mother's experience and several yeah. other people's experience, they weren't always no. so great back then, no, their experiences. And I'm not saying it was all like that, yeah. but it did create some victims. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we had to listen to that as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for me, it, it meant that for me, church has to be a place where you are much more open about those things. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. lay everything on the table, but at least don't be shocked by how bad we can be. Mm. <laughs> Okay, that was part one of Eric Scatterbo's chat with award-winning Christian author and speaker Stephen McAlpine. And as we heard, Stephen has obviously given a lot of thought to what's happening in society today and how we as Christians are being viewed by an increasingly hostile secular society. Sadly, too much of society we're being looked upon as losers or on the wrong side of history because of our beliefs. And it would be easy for us to become depressed or angry about this. But if we view life through God's perspective, there's no need for despair. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Also, if we read the Bible to the end, we know that God ultimately triumphs over everything. So there's no need for anxiety or despair. But at the same time, we are aware that it is getting increasingly tricky for Christians to navigate through today's society. And Stephen McAlpine has been inspired to write several books along this theme, including Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't, and Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that's constantly changing. To learn more about Stephen and his books, his website is stephenmcalpine.com. That's Stephen with a PH, mcalpine.com. Well, we invite you to join us next time for more of Stephen's story and more encouragement for Christians living in today's society. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. At the age of 40, I got severe pancreatitis, which was diagnosed as pancreatic cancer. And I was told you got six months. It was devastating. 
And suddenly, for the first time in my life, I thought, mortality. You know, I could be standing before Jesus in the next couple of months. And I, I, I regretted some things. And then I thought, my wife is young and my kids are young and I'll be gone. Once again, Christian author and thinker Stephen McAlpine joins us to share more of his life journey and why he's passionate about helping Christians navigate through an increasingly hostile secular society. All that and more is coming up next time. The Story. story. Just another way vision is helping you look to God daily. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.